Can you explain to the audience everything they need to know about Nightmare on East Street 2? Um, everything they need to know about Nightmare on East Street 2 is that um, it's a more uh, mature, more polished fat trail, um, touching on a lot of different subjects. But at the same time, though, I feel like uh, I feel like it's just a, like a, 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 a older me who just still giving that big homie talk of my city, of my trenches. And, um, you know, I definitely represent the, tra the trap, man, and the trenches and the haves and the have-nots. You know what I'm saying? So so the tape is just going to speak for the streets, I feel like. And for those in the audience getting to know you for the very first time, what city is it that you're referencing here? D.C. I'm from Washington, D.C., District of Columbia. And does it get any more specific than that for you? Any particular part of D.C. you represent? Oh, yeah, of course. I represent the north side. I'm from Northeast, 1600 block of East Street, 1513 Benton Road. Now, is this project considered a mixtape EP or album? Man, you know what, to be honest, that's a good question. I believe that the way uh, this Apple Music and Tidal Spotify thing is going on now, I really feel like almost every project is an album. Um, me as an artist, you know, from the mixtape era, so I still call them tapes. And sometimes you might have a person or two from the label correct me and say, no, say album. But to be honest, I don't know. I just call them now. I'm just now. I like to call them projects. So I got a project about to drop on the knife, and I'm trying to drop three projects after that by the end of this year. I, I want to have four albums slash projects out, brand new music. And the ninth is in reference to June 9th. Yes, sir. For the release date for this particular project. Yes, sir. Now this is number two. This is a sequel. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the original title and its meaning? Um, well, <clears throat> as far as the original title, like, you know, I'm from East Street, so, of course, there was a play on words with the Nightmare on East Street thing. Um, as far as, like, you know, when I first started rapping, I never imagined myself, like, making it big or actually becoming a signed artist, MTV Jams, BT 106 Park. I never thought of none of those things, you know what I'm saying? So... My hood, East Street, we always been one of the top hoods in the city, known for everything, getting money, you know, everything. I ain't gonna, you know what I'm saying? We known for everything. So I felt like when I named that my first project, Nightmare on East Street, it's like I was bringing, I was bringing fans who went to college and who are doctors and lawyers, people who didn't grow up like how I grew up, I was bringing them into my world with that first tape. So that's why. I, I feel like I was really calling it Nightmare on East Street because I'm really about to explain to you where I come from. And and basically where I come from is hell. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's what the title originated from. Now, is this a title you came up with or someone coined for you? I originally came up with Nightmare on East Street. I originally came up with Nightmare on East Street. Now, as far as me coming home and the first project dropping, calling it Nightmare on East Street 2, that wasn't my idea. Um, the label, you know, Squirrelly and Dallas and Cody and Foams and Black and all them, they was getting all that, all those thoughts and ideas together while I was still uh, serving my incarceration time. So, was it my idea to make a two? No, it wasn't. But the original tape, Nightmare on East Street, yeah, that was me. I made that up. And that's a play on the movie Nightmare on Elm Street. Of course, yeah. Did you ever see the 
original film or any of the films in that series of films? I did, man, which is weird. Like, <laughs> probably a fun fact people don't know about me, man. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm scared of horror movies. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really, I'm not a horror movie fan. You know what I'm saying? Like, do I go watch them? Do I watch them? Yeah, I watch them with, with, with my little bras, go to the movies with a broad and watch it. But um, if I'm by myself, I would never watch a scary movie. You know what I'm saying? So, but yeah, I definitely saw, um, you know, I'm a 90s baby, man. So, I, excuse me, I definitely saw all the uh, Nightmare on Elm Streets. Now, Shout out to Freddy. Now, what is it about horror movies that scare you exactly? Why don't you like them? Is it something in particular about them you don't like? Okay, we're trying to give you, a, I'm going to try to give you a story. I'm going to try to make it short. Okay. So, one, when I was young, my father used to have custody of me over, over me during the summers. So, I'd go to school all school year, and in the summertime, I'd go stay with my father. So, my grandma's house on my mom's side, I mean, on my father's side, my grandmother's house on my father's side was a real big house. And like, you know, she from the country country, so she had a refrigerator upstairs in the kitchen, and she had another refrigerator and a deep freezer in the basement. So the refrigerator upstairs would be packed with groceries. And then of course, downstairs we had canned peas, canned string beans and all that. Like, you know, my family, they, they still like pick their own corn, like hand pick it, like, you know what I'm saying, and all that. So boom, to make a long story short, my father took me to see my first scary movie. And um, I believe it was Halloween, uh, Michael Myers. And I was just remember being terrified and I kept closing my eyes and doing like this. And my father was taking my hands off my face like, you need to see this, that's the only way you're gonna get over this fear. So okay, cool, boom. So my first experience watching a scary movie at the theaters was with my father, he forced me to watch it. I'll never forget that. Then my grandma's house, like my grandma's house is so big that She'll be cooking in the kitchen, and she might be say, "Trail, go downstairs, get me a can of string beans and um, two uh, two jars of tomatoes." And the basement is so dark and creepy, and the house make noises by itself. And um, and the basement steps, like you know how it's usually like a carpet or wood right there that's covering each step. Well, in my grandma's house, the basement steps is nothing right there. So in my imagination, I used to always think that Michael Myers was under the steps and ready to grab my leg when I go back up the stairs. You know what I'm saying? So whenever she'd send me downstairs to get food, I used to hurry up and run back upstairs. Run back upstairs. So that's what that's that's where my my original fear of like horror movies came from. And then of course you dream about them. Like I don't know about anybody else, but when I watch a scary movie, I immediately dream about that scary movie and now I'm in that scary movie. You know what I'm saying? That's another reason why I don't like scary movies. Now in your opinion from all of those horror movies you had a chance to see, mm -hmm. what's been the scariest movie to you, in your personal opinion? Oh, man, that's a great question. What's, what's been the scariest movie to me, in my honest opinion? Yeah. Horror. That you had a chance to see. Forgive me, I don't remember the name, right? But it was, it was the one where the couple was like, they was like, a couple was like, uh, I don't want to call them Ghostbusters, but they could hear the ghost. Like you hired them to come to your house and get evil spirits out your house. And remember, uh, the family had bought a big house out Delaware, and 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 basically a family had got killed in the house, and 
So the dead bodies was coming out at night and all that stuff. Like I forgot the name of that movie, man. But to me, that was like by far the scariest, scary movie I've ever seen. Now there may be some in the audience that know exactly the movie you're referring to, yep. and they can place that comment below this video. I believe it might be called The Conjuring or something like that. And if that is, those yeah. in the audience, let Trell know. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned a few things. Want to get a reference on? You mentioned a label. What mm -hmm. label is this that you're referring to that you're signed to? I'm 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 currently signed to Asylum Records right now. You know what I'm Shout out to the big homie Dallas Hawk, Angie, Cody. Everybody, the whole team, Alex, Angel, everybody, the whole team, man. Vanessa, I'm signing Asylum Records right now. And you mentioned an incarceration. How mm -hmm. long were you actually incarcerated for? 46 months. 46 months. I, um, I originally went away to fight a pistol charge. And I fought that for 35 months. I fought the pistol for 35 months. By the time I got sentenced, my judge had sentenced me to 30 months, which means I overdid my sentence on that. But since I had pleaded guilty to that gun, I violated my probation in the state of Virginia by catching that gun charge. So that's why a lot of people don't understand how come last year I was released and then less than 50 days I was locked right back up because I was already out on probation from Virginia when I caught the gun charge. So when I caught the gun charge and did the 35 months, um, Virginia gave me an 18-month pro uh, probation hit, and um, I did 11 months off that 18, so that's why I did 35 months and 11 months. So in total, I did 46 months, which is basically four years. And that was your third bid in prison? Third prison bid? That was my second prison bid. Yeah, that was my second prison bid. Are you done with prison? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I am. Um, and I'm at a good headspace now where I'm just making smarter decisions as far as like how I roll around and like actually uh, believing in security and letting security do their job. And, um, you know, man, when I was young and immature, I mishandled the funds a lot. I mishandled. I dropped the ball a lot as far as business-wise, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, that incarceration helped me. Not only did I try my best to sharpen my mind as far as being better and making smarter decisions, but I also literally looked at all the things I was missing out on. And I promised myself, Trey, you'll be a fool to miss out on this ever again. You know what I'm saying? So definitely um, was a lesson learned that I opened for me. Now, was this album being planned put together while you were incarcerated during that bid? Um, to be honest, man, it's such a mix of records on there, right? We really, as a team, we collectively, as a team, we collectively just chose what I believe it is, 10 or 11 records out of the last 200 records I recorded. So, you know, um, I came home, what, November 29th, and I got about um, maybe 280 records recorded. And so we chose 10 or 11 for this first project. And that's why I said I should be dropping about three more projects after this. And um, so, you know, we've been putting together the master plan, but I'm always working, I'm always working, constantly working, constantly working. So I always got new music that I can, that I can um, release to the fans. 
So just to zoom out here for a second, were you signed to Asylum before the bid or did that happen during the bid? No, um, I actually, I actually, my first deal was with Maybach Music Group powered by Atlantic Records. And then um, after that deal had expired, I went away and did my time. When I came home the first time, me and Dallas was in talks of doing a deal with Asylum and then boom, I got locked right back up. But I think the uh, the people from I was spending so much time with Asylum, and them um, the people from the label just watching me record and watching my work ethic. They you know they made a decision which I'm honored and you know I'm blessed for the decision that they made. That they say you know what Trail, a lot of people has given up on you, but we know your potential. We know you're a real nigga. We know you're a great artist, a hard worker. So we're gonna give you another chance. Go ahead, and knock that time out. Hurry up and come home and let's just get to it. So. They believed in me when like a lot of people turned their back on me, for sure. So technically speaking, when do you sign on that dotted line with Asylum? Um, I think I signed my Asylum deal. My, the first time I came home was September the 22nd, 2021. I probably signed that Asylum deal because I went right back in November the 29th of 2021. So it's between either August, July, August. September, October, November. So I even signed it between October and November of 2021. But the final, the final paperwork can get finalized till I believe May of 22, because I remember I had to sign some additional paperwork again in May in 2022 when I was in um, Arlington County Jail. So this was a process started before that uh, second term right mm -hmm. and finished while you were in the second term mm -hmm. yeah like i said man they they took a chance man and that's why um i'm forever grateful to the whole staff at asylum man daughters angel cody everybody man i'm i'm just um real thankful for them man because they gave me a chance you know a lot of people turn their back on me and i get business i'm mature enough to understand why people lost faith. I'm, I'm mature enough to understand why some people look at me as a liability as far as business. I'm mature enough to know why. So it's up to me to change the narrative or the stigma of Fedrail. So that's what I'm on. So what was that like, finalizing paperwork to a deal while you're incarcerated? Um, What was it like? Yeah. You know, honestly, small man, I. I I really felt as though like this is my calling, you know what I'm saying? Like, I bust my ass at rapping, you know. I bust my ass at hip hop, entertainment, music, R&B, writing, music videos, interviews, pictures from fans, concerts, shows, walkthroughs. I worked my butt off for this, man. Like this, is all I ever wanted to be, you know. This was the plan A. So, to be honest, signing that contract, I remember I was on the jail phone signing the contract, um, and it really literally felt like a, just another day at the office for me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm blessed, man. Just blessed, well, you know, looking around while everybody else is gambling, watching TV, uh, these guys working out, these guys playing basketball, and I'm literally on the phone going over contracts and deals and trying to figure out release dates and trying to figure out uh, where can I move to, where's the safest place for Fedtrail to live, where's the safest place for Fedtrail to record. I was literally on the phone and I, I was literally, I, I felt like I was in the office and everybody else was just running around, lallygagging, cooking, playing, waiting to go home. And I was on the phone taking care of business every day.
Now, were you working on any music while you were incarcerated? You were working on business things that you just described, but mm -hmm. were you writing? Were you sharpening up the talent as far as freestyling or lyrics or any of that nature? I'm gonna tell you like I told everybody else, right? And I'm being honest. Honestly, I didn't write a lot in prison. I wrote, but I didn't write a lot like to the point where I came home with notepads full of raps because one, I stopped writing a long time ago, so I no longer write. But two, prison is just, for me, don't get me wrong, I've seen a lot of dudes come out at wreck, don't play cards, don't work out, don't gamble, nothing. Sit out at wreck and write raps, put their instrumentals on off their tablet and write raps. So don't get me wrong, you, you, you can write raps in that environment. Me personally, Fat Trail, I had so much going on and my mind was so many different places that to sit down and write lyrics wasn't one of the thing, main things that was on my agenda while I was incarcerated. I was hustling and ripping and running and, you know, working out and chasing the CO bras and, you know, I just had a, <laughs> my schedule was different, you know what I'm saying? So I ain't write a lot. But so the music, that, all the lyrics that I did write, I recorded. Did any of them make this particular project? That's a good question, man. And, and, and it's, and, you know me, Smalls, we've known each other for a while. Instead of looking you in your face and lying and saying, yeah, I believe a couple of them that I wrote made the album, I would have to double check. I would literally have to double, I would literally have to listen to the album again and figure out if any of those verses was wrote while I was in prison. But I have, everything that I wrote from my four year bit, I did come home and record it and lay it down. Yeah. Now, that first time back in a recording studio, after you're done with that entire four years, mm -hmm. is there rust? Is there, when you hit that mic for the first time, is there, I don't know um, how, I don't know the verbiage there, but is there- I don't know, man. I really, honestly, honestly, I really ain't feel no rust, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm not just saying that because it's me. You know what I'm saying? After my four years, the first, we went straight to the studio. The first song I recorded was my Hellcats and Trackhawk freestyle. So if you listen to the lyrics and the flow on Hellcats and Trackhawk freestyle, just ask yourself, did Fedrell fall off lyrically? You know what I'm saying? Literally, ask yourself, did Fedrell lyrically fall off? You know what I'm saying? And that was just a warm up record. I believe my first night home, I made Hellcats and Trackhawk first. Then I did the uh, Long Live B3 record. And then I did Niggas uh, Last Day In. Niggas really let their eyes walk around. Some shit I don't understand. I did all three of those back to back. That was my first night on. And I was drunk as a bitch. You know what I'm saying? So, nah, never no rest, man. Practice make perfect. I've been doing this a long time. Not a lot of niggas can fuck with me when it comes to that booth. Two things here, and this is for your fans. Okay, what do you want to say to your fans that have stuck by you from the first time they've heard your music and are still with you today, and what do you want to say to your fans that have left you, so to speak, because of all the legal issues, the inconsistency with the music and the music career and things of that nature? Right. What do you want to say to those as well? Okay, well first, um, to the fans who supported me and stuck with me through day one, I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. I apologize for letting y'all down. Um, and that's another reason why I felt like I always had to keep it real in my music because if you're going to be a fan of me, if you're going to support me, if you're going to come to my shows, if you're going to follow me when I post my kids and my grandmother and all this, like, 
I'm letting you in on my life. I'm letting you in on how I grew up. I'm letting you in on what I like to do for fun when I'm not working. I'm letting you in on, on all those things. So I know for a fact my day one fans literally grew up with me from, from, from Respect with the Tech all the way to now. You know what I'm saying? So I want to uh, tell them thank you. Um, I apologize for letting y'all down. Um, it won't happen again, man. That's my word over my dead body. It won't happen again. And um, that's just how hard I'm going with it. Secondly, to the fans who, who, who left or forgot about Fed Trail or who, no long, who chooses no longer to support Fed Trail, man, um, I apologize for letting y'all down too. But y'all will be back. I ain't worried. I know me. I know my, I, I got straight drop. You know what I'm saying? And I know how to, I know how to, um, I know how to sell it, man. You know what I'm saying? I know how to get it off, man. Like it's magic. So y'all will be back. Um, I understand why y'all left. And that's my fault. You know, I'm grown. I'm mature enough to say, man, you know, I fucked my own career up by making those dumb decisions. But I'll be right back. This year, you won't see. This year, the year. Now, are there any unknown facts or stories in regards to this project that's never been publicly mentioned before? Could be in regards to creating it or recording it. Um... I don't know. I'm not sure if this is really a secret. Um, Dirk Milano has been real um, hands-on with me lately as far as recording and um, writing and producing records. Um, that's a little cool fact that a lot, a lot of people know. But uh, but then again, like I said, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see that me and Dirk Milano been locking in lately. So, But it's a lot of fun facts about the project, man. I, um, I'd rather just... I'd rather, in my personal opinion, I'd rather leave, leave it as a surprise for the fans. Anything else you want to mention in regards to this project? Other than what you've already said thus far. Man, look, Nightmare on East Street 2, June 9th, man. You know, the return of the real is back. Long little man, freedom man. You know what type of time I'm on, man. And, um, you know, it's go time. You know what it is. Now, what is your opinion on ad-libs in a song? I feel like ad-libs is necessary, man. Um, I feel like ad-libs give the record a little bit more comfortability, if, if that's the right word I'm looking for. Um, I love doing ad-libs. I also understand that there are records who, which absolutely doesn't need ad-libs. You know what I'm saying? So I, feel, I think it's all up to the artist to know when and um, where to cut ad-lib short. With you personally, what's your strategy on it? How do you know when to use ad-libs or withdraw from that? Um, I go off the feeling, just off the feeling of the record. Um, nine times out of 10 with me, it's usually gonna always be ad-lib. So when it's, whenever it's a record where I just feel like, you know what, the ad-libs is getting in the way of what I'm, or the message I'm trying to relay, then I take them out. But, um, you know, it, it, we definitely play it by ear. So let's do a rough estimate here. If there was a circle chart of 100%, what mm -hmm. percentage would you say are songs of yours with ad-libs versus none? Um, i say about 92%. Have ad-libs. Yeah, yeah. Now, when it comes to your ad-libs, do you have a signature ad-lib by any chance? <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess, I guess kind of honestly I do because it's, it's, it's a few ad-libs that I find myself repeating a lot. 
Um, so yeah, I definitely got some signature ad-libs, but at the same time, like each new record, I try to switch it up and say different stuff, just get different vibes, catch different swags, you know what I'm saying? So I don't really have no set of ad-libs that I use specifically. Now, when it comes to collaborating with other recording artists, have you ever added your ad libs to another artist's verse on that same song? Yeah, I did. I believe me and Sada Baby just, um, shout out to Sada Baby. Me and Sada Baby just, just did like three or four records and on one of the records, I ad lib his verse and he ad lib my verse. So just doing different stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? Um, not to say that nobody has ever done that before because I, I just don't know whether that's true or not, but I know it's from all my family and friends. We like the first people who was really getting into that. Hold on, you guys, excuse me. Forgive me for that last question. What was you asking? Oh, the question I was asking was, when it comes to collaborating with other recording artists, have you ever added your ad okay. to another artist's verse on that same song? And you referenced Sada Baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So me and Sada Baby... Um, I'm pretty sure I've did that with a lot of different artists. I think me and Chief Keef did that before too, but to the most recent of my knowledge, me and Sada Baby, one record, I'm doing the ad-libs on his verse and on, and, on, and on my verse, he's doing the ad-libs on my verse. Now, how does that work? Does the artist, does the other artist ask for that by request or is that just voluntarily done? I mean, I feel like, for example, if you're going in the studio to work with an artist and this is your first time working with an artist, then yeah, I feel like there should be a conversation had. Um, now, for example, when me and Sada Baby did that record, what I did was I went in and I laid the hook down. I stepped out the booth for a smoke break and Sada Baby went in and laid the verse down. So now he's first verse on the record, but I'm on the hook. So he came back, I was like, you fuck with it? I'm like, hell yeah, you killed that shit. And then um, I said, shit, let's go. So I went in and knocked out my verse. I came back out, smoked again. Sada told the engineer, hey, let me do an ad-lib track on Trail Verse. I, didn't, I wasn't opposed to it. I didn't have a problem with it. I was like, oh shit, like, nigga ain't said that in a minute. Let me see how bruh sound ad-libbing my verse. That's actually dope. Yeah, nah, go ahead in there, do it. Let's see how it sounds. So, for example, we didn't have a conversation. It, it, we, we was just in the moment, you know what I'm saying? But I feel like sometimes people do have conversations about stuff like that because a lot of artists are very extremely picky, you know? Now, what are your thoughts on songs with just a featured artist ad-libs but no hook or verse from them? Repeat that question. I'll give you an example. Okay. Kanye West has a song called Can't Tell Me Nothing. Jeezy mm -hmm. ad-libs but no hook or verse from Jeezy on oh, that song. What's your opinion of that? That was dope. That was different. Never witnessed that before. Um, I know what records you're talking about. Uh-uh, you can't tell me nothing. Yeah, like, I remember that record. So, that's a great idea. I'm pretty sure, well, I take that back, because I was just about to be biased and say, I'm pretty sure that was Kanye West's idea. I shouldn't say that, because it could have been Jesus' idea. But that was a genius idea. Um, I believe that may be the first group of artists I've ever seen do that. Now, there are other examples of this as well that have come out since that record. Mm -hmm. But has 
An artist ever requested just your ad-libs on their song? Or maybe vice versa, maybe you want or wanted another artist's ad-libs, but no hook or verse from them on a particular song of yours. Yes, um, I've done, I've done ad-lib only features before. Yes, I have. Um, it's very common. It's very common. Now, is there is that? How does that happen? Do they? Does an artist just ask you? I just want your ad libs on this song. No hook or verse from you. Yeah, basically, pretty much be open okay. and honest up front. I feel like that's the best way. You know what I'm saying? I'm not gonna send you a record and be like, "Hey, yo, kill this," and then when you kill it, and when you send it back to me, I erase your whole verse, but keep your ad libs and put them on my verse. Then we release the record. You're gonna be looking at me crazy, like, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? Versus if I come to you open and honest up front, hey, bro, I got this hard ass record. You ain't gotta do a hook, verse, or nothing. I just need you to ad lib my verse, bro. You can have a conversation like that. He can only tell you one or two things. Shit, let's go, nigga. Or, nah, I can't do that. He can only tell you one or two things. Now, yeah. the first time you were proposed that idea, did you take any offense to it? Did you feel any disrespect that they just wanted your ad libs? Honestly, no, I didn't. Here's why. First of all, I was being paid. So money, when, when, when money involved, you know, all these different politics and different rules don't, don't apply. That's first of all. Second of all, um, I wasn't offended because that was the first time it was ever asked of me. So I feel, it felt good to do something different. Then when I heard the record and I did it, I see where he was coming from. I see where he was going with it. So it was a pleasure to do that. And care to share the name of that record? I can't even remember, bro. I'd be, I'd be lying to you if I gave you a, a name. Or who the artist was? I believe the artist was Oom P from New York. Shout out to Oom P, the whole Uwe. Shout out to Bronx, Cortland Ave. Now, no, Park Ave, Cortland Projects. Shout out to the OBX. Now, speaking of being paid for ad-libs, mm -hmm. is the rate for your ad-libs the same as a featured verse? Of course not. They're just ad-libs. I look at that like that would kind of be greedy if you charged. And again, I'm only one artist. You know, I think today we see on social media, we see so many artists talk about what they is and what they ain't doing. If it ain't a bad, about a bag, I respect that. Don't get me wrong. I understand where they coming from because this business can be very phony and fake. So you do get to a point where you just say, look, man, I'm here to collect my check. I'm leaving. I don't want to kick it. I don't want to take shots, take pictures, shoot videos, none of that. I understand where people be coming from when they say stuff like that. Just for transparency, do you know Kanye West or Jeezy personally, by any chance? No, I do not. I met Jeezy before in Atlanta. Never met Kanye before. Care to share how you met Jeezy? Um, it's crazy. I met Jeezy, um, this was a long time ago, man. Like, this was before I got signed with Maybach and all that. I was in Atlanta. Um, I remember I had a meeting with uh, Coach K. Um, you know, I'm real young. Don't know what the name Coach K mean to the streets of Atlanta or to the music industry, period. Um, I remember that that was around that time they was working with the producer, Lil Lodi. Lodi had the hardest beats out at that time right then and there. So they had locked me in the studio with Lil Lodi. And um, I believe, like, eventually, after I, uh, I some hours or a day or two, um, they had introduced me to Jeezy. Cool nigga. He was in and out like a robbery, which I expect, so 
but he was cool though. And that was the only time you met? To my knowledge, yeah. And what ended up happening with that situation with Coach K? Um, you know, that's a great question, man. I had a real janky, real extremely janky manager at that time. Lord knows what, Lord knows what was in the page. I mean, I said the page. Lord knows what was in the contract. Lord knows what my manager, extra incentives he forced in or added to, nobody knows. You know what I'm saying? So, um, learning experience for me. Um, don't regret a single thing. Ross is my big homie forever. Wale and Meek like brothers, Stoddy like brothers, Tracy, check up on my dog to this day. We like brothers, you know what I'm saying? So, I don't really have no regrets about the past. Now, speaking of family, care to share how many kids you have at this point? <laughs> I got three children. My oldest is my uh, firstborn child, my daughter. She's 15, she'll be 16 this year. My middle child is Bricks. He lives in LA, he's eight, he'll be nine next year. And my youngest child, Sayor, she lives in home too. She lives back home too in the DMV area. And my youngest daughter's three, she'll be four next month, July. So I got three children. Now, another recording artist, ASAP yeah. Rocky, excuse mm -hmm. me, ASAP Rocky is expecting baby number two mm -hmm. with Rihanna. Right. Now, circumstances could be different for everyone, so generally speaking here, but if he's watching or mm -hmm. listening to this interview right now, anything you want to say to a second-time father? You've got Congratulations, three baby. It's like, nah, uh, nah, you know, man, all the street niggas, man, we was rooting for Rocky, man. We rooting for Rocky and Rihanna, man. Rocky get his streets hope, the trenches hope. Um, but nah, if I could say anything to Rocky right now, it would be congratulations. Um, cherish every moment, man, because the kids grow fast. I'm telling you. Cherish every moment, man. You're going to look up and the baby going to be four. Then you're going to look up and the baby going to be eight. Then you're going to look up and they're going to be asking, can they work? They want their own job. Uh, you know, they want to go to the movies without you. Come on, dad, you cramping my style. You know what I'm saying? Like. Parenthood is a beautiful thing, though, so congratulations to Rocky and Rihanna. Anything else in regards to a second-time father? You've got nah. three. He's about to have two. Nothing else, man. Just cherish the moment, man. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be very hard. It's going to be times where your child gets sick and you're going to feel like the worst parent ever for, one, allowing the child to get sick, and two, you know, when you see your baby crying, aching, in pain, you want to help the baby so bad. And that can really break you down mentally if you ain't strong. So it's not going to be easy. Um, you got to have tough skin. And you got to have a lot of patience, man. So I just hope uh, Rocky and Rihanna um, somewhere practicing their patience. <laughs> Any other words on having kid number two or question you weren't asked? People want to know about that. Say that one more time, bro. Any other words on having kid number two or question you weren't asked, people want to know about that. Um, nah, not really, bro. Now, what's it really like having three kids? Um, you know, it's cool, man. Like a lot of my friends, honestly, 
a lot of my friends got six, seven, eight, nine kids. You know what I'm saying? So, one, I tell myself all the time, Trail, you did good, great. Don't be so hard on yourself. That's number one. Number two, I look at my children's ages, and my oldest would be 16. When she turns 16, my middle son would still be eight. So, boom, they eight years apart. And I feel like for me to have a child and then don't have another child till eight years later, I felt like I did good. As a young black African-American coming from where I'm coming from, making the type of money I made and, you know, being real, fucking the type of bras that I was fucking all around the world. It's amazing that, excuse me, it took me eight years to make my next child. Then after that, my youngest is what? When she turned four, bricks to be eight. So they four years apart. I think I did good. I had my first child, eight years later, my second child. Four years later, my third child. I think I did good, really, man. So um, I just try not to be so hard on myself, and, and I constantly remind myself that life could be harder, man. You know what I'm saying? And, um, I ain't the best, but I ain't the worst either. And I try harder and harder, more and more every day. And that's just one of my main goals, man, to just be a better friend, a better father. Now, before you even had kid number one, mm -hmm. did you want kids? Did you want three? Did you want more than three once upon a time? Okay, so I'm pretty sure everybody had this story growing up as a teenager, right? My first love, who I, you know, I'm young, thought that was my first love. We was fucking like rabbits, man. I was trying to get her pregnant. She would not get pregnant, you know what I'm saying? So, in the midst of all that, I got kicked out of school. My mother sent me to Job Corps. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Job Corps, what that is. It's like a boarding school, but they teach you trades. They teach you classwork too, but they teach you trades, hands-on trades, painting, electricity, brick mason, um, construction, a lot of things they teach you. So anyway, the girl that I was with at the time, which was my high school sweetheart, my first love, I'm trying to get her pregnant. I remember walking down the street, back in, up and down the street, me and my best friend, Killer. And I asked him, any word yet? And he'd be like, nah, any word on yet on you? I'm like, nah. And we used to joke with each other, like, man, we can't even have kids, man. Like, man, we some shit. Like, man, damn, man, we ain't gonna never have kids. We used to joke like that. So then, boom, I went to Job Corps, and I started messing with this older girl, which she had a boyfriend at the time. <laughs> That's a whole other story. My first baby mother had a boyfriend who lived on campus with us at Job Corps. I had a girlfriend who lived all the way out in Maryland. She didn't live on campus with us. So, um, you know, when she became pregnant, she told me we couldn't no longer fuck no more. You know what I'm saying? Because she pregnant by her boyfriend. I said, okay, cool. I respect that. i never forget this. Nine months later, I, I had been kicked out of Job Corps and all that by then. Somebody had walked past me and was like, yo, Taisha having her baby. Like, you should call her and congratulate her. I'm like, oh, for real? So I called her. She's like, hey, what's up? I'm like, can you talk? She's like, yeah, he um, went to go use the bathroom or something. Just hurry up, talking about her boyfriend. So she, I'm like, um, I made a joke. I said, man, how's the baby? She said, man, she's so pretty. Da, da, da. I said, yeah, man, I heard that was my baby. She said, man, don't play with me. Don't disrespect me like that. That's what she said out of her mouth. Meaning in my eyes, at that time, I believe that she... 100% thought that her boyfriend was the baby's father, you know what I'm saying? So years later down the line, she passed away. My um, my first daughter mom passed away, and my, my mother was like, man, just take a test. And I took the test, and lo and behold, the baby was mine. Yeah.
So, no, she wasn't playing. Um, she was like me and her mom wasn't in a relationship. And I'm glad my daughter older now because she always tell me, Dad, tell me about my mom, tell me about my mom. And I tell her all the time, like, your mom wasn't a bully. She fought a lot, but she wasn't a bully. She was usually always taken up for one of her friends, fighting her friend's battles. So she was a fighter. Um, she wore Nike boots with a North Face. That's something you don't see girly girls do. And but you know, that's just that's just how her mother was. So I tell her that all the time. Like your mother was really like a player. Like I was 16, she was what, 19, 20 at the time when I met her, had a boyfriend, made me stay in my place. Like I used to come pop up at her dorm sometime, knock on the window. She used to tell me, like, man, don't pop up in my dorm. Like, you not my nigga. You my side nigga. Like, that's how she used to talk to me. You know what I'm saying? So it'd be cool to share those stories like that with my daughter, man, because her mother was a real one, for sure. And when it came, excuse me, when it came to the mother of all three kids, is it uh, different mothers for all three? Yes. I had three children, three different baby mothers, yes. Any plans for more kids? You know, because of my son, my only son grew up on the West Coast, and unfortunately he doesn't like basketball or football. He likes soccer and baseball. Um, I always wanted a son on my coast, so I always wanted to have a boy that I could raise over here on my end, put him in basketball early, put him in football early, and then just take that journey to the end of excuse me, to the NFL or the NBA. So I definitely want to have one more, but one more child and that stops. I do not want more than four children. What's been your biggest song so far in your music catalog? Wow, what's been my biggest song so far in my music catalog? Okay, can I can I ask you a question though? What's What's biggest to you? Do you mean most streamed? Do you mean most viewed uh, rap video? Or do you believe like my songs, my fans love this song the most? It's wherever you want to take this question. Okay, well, my, my most viewed, my, my most streamed song happens to be me on a feature with Chris Brown and Tiger. So technically, that's the biggest song I've ever been a part of. Um, I believe my fans really love me for that respect with the tech Russian roulette wave that um that um Wowzers freestyle uh the 1-800 car trail freestyle that I did to Logic um joint I believe those are like my biggest records like that the fans love the most Now are there any unknown facts or stories in regards to <laughs> any of these songs that's never been publicly mentioned before could be creating it, recording um, it, or releasing it. Wow. You know, I ain't gonna lie to you, bro. I'm pretty sure there is some weird, interesting stories um, regarding these records, right? But, um, nah, you know. Okay, so respect with the tech. Lex Luger was, at this time, Lex Luger is the biggest producer in the game. You know what I'm saying? So. Lex Luger did uh, Big Meech, I think I'm Big Meech, for um, Ross at the time. He the biggest producer in the game. So my homie called me like, yo, Lex Luger want to um, lock in with you at a, at a, on a session. I'm like, man, shut the fuck up, man. 
Thompson fucking Lex Luger, man. Nigga just made a number one hit for Rick Ross, nigga. Nigga don't want to get in the studio with me. All right. Boop, put me on FaceTime. Now, nigga, I don't know what the fuck Lex Luger look like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know if this is the real Lex Luger, you feel me? Like, yo, bro, what's up, man? It's Lex. I'm from Virginia Beach, bro. Like, a lot of people don't know that. Like, I'm from Virginia Beach, my nigga. Like, you hard. Like, let's do some records. I'm like, man, shh. How I know there's you? How I know you is you? You know what I'm saying? He like, man, just Google it. Just go to Google. You go to my Facebook page. Da, da, da. So, boom. We leave that day. Man, when you trying to record? Shit, what you doing now? I'm on my way. Virginia Beach, three-hour drive. Let's get it. I'm on my way. We drove down there, and I believe we recorded like four records. And the last record we recorded was Respect With The Tech. And, um, man, when I dropped that, so many artists, you know, I was very, very highly independent at that time. So many industry artists reached out to be on the official remix to that, to that record. And my manager at the time was like, you know what? We not put nobody on this record. I don't care who want to get on this record. This is your record. Like, I want you to be remembered for this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, nah, because if we get motherfucking Gucci man on this record or, or you know what I'm saying? Like, one of them on this record right now, Juicy J, like, this shit is out of here, you feel me? But um, that's probably a, a little secret backstory that don't nobody know. Lex called me, I went down there the same day, we made respect with the tech, and the rest was history. That's literally one of my biggest songs in my whole career. And a remix never released. No, official remix, no. Any regret with that decision making, looking back on how everything played out? Absolutely, I feel like, <sighs> You know, now that I, when I look at how things be going now, right? You take for instance, um, ah, my mind is scrambling right now. You take for instance how, how like when Lil Baby first dropped, that's my dog was hot, hard, hit record, don't get me wrong, hit record. So first of all, I'm not being disrespectful and I might add my facts wrong after this. Lil Baby, hit record, that's my dog for sure, he killed it. But when he did Yes Indeed with Drake, it was over. You feel me? Like, it was over. It officially put him on that, it was over. And so I feel like Respect With The Tech could've did that and I feel like that's what Respect With The Tech needed. So do I have regrets not putting an um, A-list celebrity on a remix of Respect With The Tech? Of course. But it's, it was done, it's done, you can't cry with Spill Milk. Care to share who offered to be on that remix at the time? Man. That you could have had, possibly. Uh, Chief Keef, Walker, Pusha T. Who else? I believe French Montana. That's just the name of few, bro. Like, it was, uh, you know, a lot, man, a lot. Now, in that little baby example, and again, barring the facts, but you mentioned that's my dog, but then Drake appeared on a separate song. Mm -hmm. Could that have been an option? Maybe, okay, none of these artists on an official remix, but maybe a separate song. Yeah, that could have been a thought. That could have been a great thought. But Respect for the Tech was so big, it would have been foolish to just say, all right, bet, this record is big, they love it. 
I hey yo, who wanna jump on the remix? Oh, me, I do it. I bet, say no more. Look, we ain't gonna jump on that song though. Let's create a new song. It's kinda like tricking them, you feel me? So like, nah. I definitely feel as though we should have put a bigger artist on respectfully tell you. And in your opinion, who would you have wanted on that remix if you could have had it your way? That's hard, man. That's really hard. Um out of all those artists that reached out, who did you personally want to see? Uh, who did you want a verse from, even though it never materialized? I wanted, you got to understand, BMF was the biggest record out right then and there, so I wanted Rick Ross on it immediately. You know what I'm saying? I felt like Rick Ross, if we could have somehow got Rick Ross to jump on that record when it was hot, sky's the limit. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, but no regrets though, man. Like, everything happens for a reason. It's cool. And you eventually end up doing business with Rick Ross. Absolutely. Down yeah. the line. Uh-huh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. With MMG. Mm -hmm. Now, thinking back to that particular song, what led that song to get as far as it has today? What was the secret to that song in particular? Again, Lex was the hottest right then and there. Nobody made harder beats than Lex Luger at this time, bro. His beats would like literally bust your eardrum, bro. That's number one. Um, what else made it blow, man? You know, number two, we was dropping it at a time where, you know, our city was hectic. Still is hectic to this day, but back then our city was real, real hectic. A lot of beefing going on, and um, you know, animosity. Unfortunately, uh, is the first blood, first cousin of attention. You know what I'm saying? So, the record just it just it, it said a lot and it meant a lot. But again, if Lex Luger don't produce that record, I don't know if it, it blows up to be the same record. Actually, when we recorded that, right? I told you we drove down Virginia Beach. We recorded four records with him. We left Virginia Beach. We're going back to DC. We stop at this club. I never forget in DC. One of the at that time one of the most littest clubs in DC. It was called Club Lotus. We pulled up to Lotus and opened all the doors up on the truck and turned the volume all the way up to respect with the tech. And the line, the people at the line in the club was just like, "Oh my God, Fat Trail just has made his number one hit song." Like the reaction on they. The natural reaction, not, oh, it's look y'all's trail. It was just, that shit hard. You know what I'm saying? We kept running in front of the top so you could hear that Lex Luger, Lex Luger. And it was really my record, so, man, that, man, that bitch took off. Whose idea was it to do that, that impromptu club sneak peek? That was nobody's idea. We drove back to D.C. Our intentions were to go in the club, but as we... You know, once you pull up to the club, you park, nigga might be putting his cologne on, nigga might be trying to figure out how he gonna sneak his gun in the club, nigga might be, you know, whatever. So, but we getting ready to get out the car, but we just so happened to have the music all the way up. So we didn't, nobody said, hey y'all, let's go to the Lotus Let Out and let's play the record for the people in the line. No, we were going to Lotus that night. And it just so happened that when we opened the door, the music was playing. And then the whole line was like, I'm talking about no funny shit, no funny shit. Even the police officers that was working the door was like, man, like this shit is, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
that's when I knew. Like once we played that record, I just knew like shit was out of here. Now thinking back to that particular song, did Lex cook that beat up from scratch for you, or was that a beat you chose at the time you saw him? I chose it. I chose it. So it was done already, right? Yeah, it was done already. I believe the first night I met Lex, we chose eight beats, and I recorded four of them right then and there. Anything else you want to mention about this song or question you weren't asked? People want to know about it. Um, not really, man. Not 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 right offhand, man. Like you know, one thing about you, Smalls, you got the type of following and the type of subscribers where, when you about to interview somebody, you can really ask the fans like, what's some questions that they want to know? I guarantee you, you'll get some crazy feedback for that, man. Guarantee. Now, when it comes to questions. Speaking of questions. Is there a question you receive you dislike getting asked? Something you can't stand to answer, perhaps? Maybe it's a repetitive question, something you receive all the time. Could be from fans or strangers asking you this. Um, I hate when girls ask me, am I really as nasty as I, as I say I am in my songs? I really hate that because if you if if you're in your mind thinking to ask me that you've already decided that you're willing to fuck me or you about to fuck me or there's a chance that you're willing to fuck me so why even ask that why not why spoil why make me answer such a stupid question and spoil the fun that we about to have you know what I'm saying it's like I hate when girls ask me, like, are you really as nasty? It's a couple things I hate, but that's just a question. Another thing I hate is, like, after I fuck, bitches always say, like, oh, my God, I thought you was going to have a little dick because, you know, you fat. Fat boys got a little dick. Oh, my God. So that ain't a question, but I, I be hating when bitches say that because, like, it's, a, it's a, a goofy assumption that all fat niggas got little dicks. You know what I'm saying? So after I finished knocking the bottom out of bitch, I done had plenty of bitches say, like, damn, like, Man, you can fuck for a fat boy. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there's a lot of things that people say that just irritate a nigga. But one of the main things I hate is when they ask me, am I really nasty like I say I am in my songs? Now, at this point in your life, are you single? I'm super single, man. And I'm, why are you single? I'm super single, man. Um, you know, I just felt like I felt like I had two POs in my last situation, you feel me? Like, just a rocker on my back and a rocker hassling and, you know, um, first of all, I just did four years in prison. Second of all, I was coming off a real rough relationship with my youngest daughter, mom, you know what I'm saying? And um, I wasn't really ready to be back in a relationship. And um, I told her that, uh, she looked past it, we tried to make it work, but, um, you know, she not used to dealing with a, my caliber, you know what I'm saying? She ain't used to dealing with a nigga like me at all, period, you know what I'm saying? So it was just like a big culture shock for her to see me come home and know that you're going to have to deal with like thousands and thousands of bitches. Know that bitches is going to 
run up on the car while we in traffic. Know that bitches is going to take pictures of me while we at the kids' school or at the football game. And um, I'm still a man, too. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like all those years I did in prison, I don't deserve to be keep being questioned about where the fuck I'm going. You know what I'm saying? As 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 the father in love and basketball say, I make enough money to keep your fine ass in Gucci and gold. You know what I'm saying? Bitch, get off a nigga back. I'm down the street. What the fuck more do you want? You know what I'm saying? And it got to the point where it was just feeling real PO-ish. And um, I just had to let that situation just go. And how long have you been single for at this point? I said a little bit over a month, man. Probably like a month and two weeks or something. And what's that lifestyle been like for you? It's different, man. I'm going to tell you why. Because now I'm older and I'm single, right? Um, the last time I was single on the street, I was like 23, 24, 25. Meaning we fucking all the bitches 90 going off. D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Philly, New York, Buffalo, Canada, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Tennessee, Florida, Chicago, California. We fucking bitches all over the world. Versus now that I'm older, I don't trust a lot of these bitches. Um, a lot of these bitches getting niggas killed, getting them backdoor robbed and all that. So now it's like, yeah, I'm single, but... I'm not willing to link up with as many as bitches as I used to when I was younger. You know what I'm saying? And I got real bad bitches in my DM like, damn, all you doing is spinning me. Like, and I follow you on Instagram. This is what they telling me. I follow you on Instagram. I literally see you're doing nothing right now. Like, you're, you're on Instagram live in the bed. Like, why won't you just let me come fuck you? You know what I'm saying? Like, this, this is what they telling me. And I'm single. Don't get me wrong. I'm single. You know what I'm saying? But it's different. Like, I'm not willing to give everybody my energy. And what I mean by that is, I can't link up with everybody like how I used to. I can't fuck. Man, we used to go for records. Man, we used to sit in the house and bet on who could fuck the most girls in one day, who could fuck the most girls in one week, who could fuck the most girls in one month. I, I no longer could do that now because my, 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 my mentality now is somewhere else. But I have been loving the single life. And just for context, care to share your current age? I'm 32. 32, born June 26, 1990. Now, speaking of those records, how many females have you had sex with in a 24-hour period? I believe the most was like, uh, it was either seven or nine. Back when we was younger, we was really like, you know, trying to go for records, like, you know what I'm saying? like. Trying to go for records, you know. We that's that's just what we used to do as kids. Boys gonna be boys. We gambled a lot. Um, we partaked in selling drugs. We partaked in doing drugs, meaning marijuana, e pills, shit like that. But man, for a very very long part of my life, uh, having sex with different girls was basically my main goal every day. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't even trying. Like I'm gonna keep it a hundred. I was fucking more than I was trying to get money, which is wrong, you know what I'm saying? But like, that's just what we was on, you know what I'm saying, so. Most you had at one time in one session. So for example, there's some people that have three sums. Yeah, I, um, the most I ever had was a foursome at one time. That's me and three girls. Yeah. 
What was that like? Oh man, what was it like? I had just signed my deal with Maybach, and um, we was in Miami. I'll never forget. When I first got signed to Maybach, I moved to Ross Crib in Miami. So I woke up one morning, the whole house was empty. And that ain't nothing new. Usually they get up and, you know, if Ross got somewhere to be or he'll leave, he ain't going to wake me up to let me know he's leaving. But this time he, he went to Europe. You know what I'm saying? So when I woke up, I'm like, yo, where niggas at? And um, he answering his FaceTime. He on the jet. You know, his wife on the jet, but it still moved kind of a little bit slow. So he's like, yo, I'm on the way to Europe. I'll be back in a few. I'm like, damn, all right. So I hung up. I looked at the TV on the wall. I said, look behind me. I said, wow, I got all this house to myself. You know what I'm saying? I'm freshly signed to Maybach. I'm from DC. And uh, I need to let these Miami hoes, I need to let these Florida hoes know how I'm living. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I had a stripper broad. I had two stripper bars, actually, down in Miami. One of them had a sister. So that made three, and then the sister brought another friend. It was actually about six girls there that night, but two of them I didn't fuck. You know what I'm saying? So um, somehow I had stumbled up. Ross had a bunch of ones left over in the crib. So the bitches came through, they dancing, they stripping in the living room. It's just me and six bitches. You feel me? I'm tipping them, I'm tipping them, I'm tipping them. We go out back. They run. They took off all their clothes. They run around Rick Ross' backyard naked, jumping in the pool playing volleyball, all type of shit. And then um, I took the two main girls that I knew, I took them upstairs and um, I took them upstairs and we started doing that thing. And then the the, uh, the third one just walked up there and just knocked on the door and just, she came in the bedroom, walked over there where we was at, touched, did her little thing touching. Then she walked off, got in the shower, got out the shower and got in the bed with us. That was my first Foursome, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That was my first foursome. And I had it in Rick Raw's house. I felt like that nigga. I was like 21, 22. <laughs> you feel me? And this was totally spontaneous. The foursome was totally spontaneous. This wasn't planned. Totally, totally spontaneous. What I did was, you know, the girls, they got off work at like 4, 4 a.m. that night. I told you, I only, out of all the six, two of them I knew personally. You know what I'm saying? So. They like, what you doing? I'm like, shit, man, Ross went out of town. I'm in the crib. I'm bored of shit. I ain't doing shit. Oh, she's like, all right, well, we about to pull up. When she pulled up, it was literally four of the girls with her. So I'm like, damn. First thing that came to my mind was I can't keep my eyes on six bitches. There's a lot of very valuable things in this house. So I just laid down the law. I was like, look, there's cameras all around here. Don't go any to no restricted areas. We're going to have some fun, drink, smoke, chill, watch movies. Whatever y'all want to do, we can go get on the golf cart. We could play volleyball, we could swim, you know what I'm saying? I don't know how to ride motorcycles or dirt bikes or four-wheelers, so now y'all can't get in them. I don't know how to drive sticks, so no, we not getting in none of the rides or the lambs out this bitch, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, and that's how it happened. So, but I called, I, I invited them over for company. I didn't even think I was gonna have a threesome with them, let alone a foursome with an extra girl, so it was definitely spontaneous. I called them over to have fun, chill, drink, play games, chill, and I, I, I really, I had my mind set on fucking one of them. I didn't think I was gonna fuck both of them plus another friend. And the one you had your uh, mind set on, you did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did Rick Ross ever find out? Yeah, he did, he called me. 
Ross got cameras all over his house. <laughs> so he called me and was like, yo. I'm like, what up? He like, man, cool out on bringing so many hoes over there. Grind, little homie. Like, it's grind time. He said, man, I count six. You can't keep your eyes on six. You can barely keep your eyes on two. I said, no, nah, you right. You right. You right, big boy. I'm going to tell him it's time to go. Party over. You know what I'm saying? And, um, but yeah, he found out. But that's my nigga, man. He knew that. He knew he was... One thing I can love and respect about Raw, excuse me, he knew he was signing a young nigga from the streets, you feel me? Like, a real young nigga from the streets. Like, so, letting me have my fun was probably one of the main number one things on Raw's agenda, you feel me? Let trail be trail, you feel me? This nigga literally, I don't know this man from a can of paint, he just signed me and took out all his car keys and was like, look, you gonna be staying here for a while, like, which car you want? I'm like, damn, so I'm like, shit, I picked up the Rari key, like, damn, what about the Rari? He like, you know how to drive a stick? I'm like, nah, he was like, all right, well, you can put the Rari key down. You know what I'm saying? So I put the Rari key down, but I said in my mind, I need to learn how to drive a stick. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I chose the key to the uh, BMW Alpina B7. That's a very super, super rare, exclusive BMW. If you uh, Google BMW Alpina B7, I took the keys to that. and um. He was just letting me have fun, man. I worked hard, though. I really do record a lot. Like, so it's a studio in the house. So I am recording heavy, knocking out hits after hits. And I ain't gonna lie, I was getting high, but I worked. I was working fucking bitches and working and fucking bitches. Like, and what songs came out of that house? That whole Glee tape. That whole Glee tape. I give a fuck about the next nigga. Cause I get money for real. I made that pussy on Ocean Drive. I gave that pussy a pill. It's 50 shots in a Mac clip. I recorded all that in Miami. I recorded all that in Miami in Ross house. That's when I felt like my aura and my mind and how slick I was talking. I just felt me like bossing up, like just by even being around Ross. Like you could tell the way I was talking on the records. Now, a foursome, just to reiterate that topic there. Mm -hmm. Was that a good experience, bad experience, one time, never again, or you'd do that again? I had, outside of that, I had another, outside of that, I had two more foursomes. So in my whole entire life, I'm 32, I only had three foursomes, um, which is fun because that's a wide variety of pussy in your head. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you imagine if you got four bitches with some good box and some good top? Like, you know what I'm saying? So I ain't going to sit here and fake like, oh, man, I had foursomes all the time. Like, that's what I, nah, it ain't that. Um. But the experience to have a foursome, wonderful, man. Like, I tell people all the time when you think of Fat Trail, please pull out your phone, go to google.com and Google 1513 Benning Road, Northeast Washington, D.C. Go to the, what's it called, Google Maps or images? Go to Google Maps, look at my neighborhood. Look at my neighborhood, look at where I come from on Google Maps, or go around there, you know what I'm saying? Like. It ain't, my hood ain't that bad to where strangers get robbed and old ladies and shit get knocked out. It ain't that bad, but you know, go around there and look at it. And then picture me fucking four bad bitches from KOD in Rick Ross' house in Miami, in the swimming pool, in the jacuzzi, in the BMW, <laughs> on the back of the Harley. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it was, in my mind, it was only right. My baby mother kept saying, man, you a hoe, you a hoe. What else am I supposed to do? I got money and fame. I'm from the Pentacles. These bitches know me in Idaho, Nebraska, Milwaukee, 
Dallas. What am I supposed to do? I was just living life, having fun. Now, what about that 24-hour sex session of seven to nine females? Mm-hmm. I was real young. That probably happened when I was like either between 15 or 17. Was it any use of any substances like honey back then or Percocet Ecstasy. or Viagra? Ecstasy. E-pills. E-pills and alcohol. What was we drinking back then? 2015, we were drinking Seveca and we were popping triple stacks, E-pills. We was drinking Seveca and popping E-pills. All the energy you need, fuck for hours. When it came to body count, mm -hmm. what's the last number you recollect when you were keeping up with that? <laughs> and a lot of a lot of people gonna watch this interview, man. Um, to be honest, I never attempted to keep tally of how many girls I slept with. Like I told you, those was individual bets. I can remember one time us betting to everybody put in 200, let's see who could fuck the most bitches today. And then we did it once for the week, uh, where I believe we all betted 500, see who could fuck the most bitches in a week. And then a couple years later, we did the month. Let's see who could fuck the most bitches in a month. Everybody put up $1,000. So those were specific bets. As far as keeping tally of every girl I slept with in my whole life, I never tried to, I never attempted to keep a tally of that. And, and it'd be so weird like when females, that's another, see, back when you asked me what is a question that people ask you that you hate, I hate when girls ask me like my body count. My boy, stop asking me that. <laughs> and, and the curiosity there is there are some that keep track and there are some that keep track to a certain point and then they lose track. Mm -hmm. Didn't know if you were ever one to even keep track at yeah. first and then lose track. Or... Yeah, I know. I'm pretty sure it's men and women who keep actual count of their body count, man. But um, but those same people who keep it probably may never be honest about it. You feel me? So I never tried to uh, keep a count of how many girls I fuck, man. But um, it's been a lot, though. When it came to those bets the 24-hour period, the week period, the month period? Mm -hmm. Were you a winner or a loser in any of those bets at the time? Um, I won the, I won the, um, the nine in one day joint, but the how many girls in a week I lost and how many girls in a month I lost. You know what I'm saying? Like, I lost. Now, would you Date you. <laughs> oh, no, man. Like, would I date me? I don't know. Like, you know what? I ain't going to lie. To this day, some of the females that I fuck with, like, some of them, like, you know, I got a beautiful, beautiful one in New York, a beautiful, beautiful one in Chicago, and then I ain't going to be specific, but Cincinnati. But um, I always ask them, what do y'all see in me? You know what I'm saying? Like my whole life, you gotta understand, I, my whole life I grew up, my nickname used to be Fat Ugly or Fat Ass or Fat Shit. You know what I'm saying? That's, these is my nicknames growing up. Hey, Fat Ass, let me get a cigarette. Hey, Fat Ass, watch that car right there, who that? 
What's up, Ugly? Like, that was my nickname my whole life. So I never, like, that's why in my records, I always say a, a, a filthy, rich, and fat, and ugly motherfucker. I always call myself ugly because people call me ugly my whole life. So when I hear females tell me that I'm attractive or something like that, I, I automatically assume that they just lying to me to make me feel better. But I also understand that it's certain females who are attracted to certain things because I know for a fact it's certain females who I'm attracted to and my close homies like, man, that bitch is trash, that bitch ugly. You know what I'm saying? So, but yeah, I've always been the, 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 the fat, ugly guy, man. You know what I'm saying? And is that why you embraced the phrase fat with your stage name? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've always been, you know, I never thought of fat as a downplay. Like, you know what I'm saying? I never thought like being fat made me a loser or not fly or not one of them niggas. You know what I'm saying? Because some of the most getting money niggas I could see with my own eyes growing up, they was big niggas. They had weight on them. You know what I'm saying? Like, niggas eat. You know what I'm saying? Like, niggas eat straight like that. You feel me? Eat what the fuck they want when they want. You know what I'm saying? But um, now, nah, fat's always been my name. Fat fool, fat trail, fat ugly, fat ass, and fat shit. Them was, them was my nicknames growing up. So uh, it's people to this day who only call me fats. You know what I'm saying? I just met this girl yesterday. And... um. She think she think I ain't know she was giving me an alias name. So she was like, what's your name? I was like, Fats. I still tell people, introduce myself as Fats to this day. You know what I'm saying? So was never ashamed, never embarrassed of the phrase fat? Nah. Uh, I love I love, I love, love my weight. I love my size. I love what I represent, who I do it for. And um, I tell these niggas all the time, man. Fly niggas, buff niggas, strong niggas, skinny niggas that could wear the best designer. Short niggas, little feet niggas. I'm telling y'all, man, these bitches' favorite niggas is a fat nigga, man. For real. I done took a lot of fly niggas, bitches. A lot of rich niggas, bitches. Fresh f runway model, GQ. <laughs> bitches love fat niggas. I was never, ever ashamed of being fat. I got fat tatted on me, man. Like, I embrace that. Like, that's me. I love this shit. Care to share your current weight? <laughs> it's small. They gonna crack up when they see this shit. Hey, look, you know what's crazy? I weighed myself the day I got released out of prison, November the 29th, 2022. I was 284. The last time I weighed myself would have to be this is June. So I probably, I think the last time I weighed myself was April. And I was like 309. But that's literally the last time I weighed myself. So the last time I checked, I was like 309, which is not good. I've never been 300 pounds before. You know what I'm saying? But I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to slim that shit down. So just curious, in your various prison bids, would you actually maintain your weight, lose weight, or gain weight? Lost weight. I always lost weight because I rarely ate. I rarely ate in prison. In prison, I ate once a day. I ate one big meal a day. You know what I'm saying? I would literally eat one big meal a day. And, um, cause there was so much to do. Football season, basketball season, we gambling, playing cards, gambling, shooting dice. Or we go out on the rack yard and actually play football or play basketball. Or I ain't gonna lie, I sat on the phone a lot, man. I sat on the phone a lot. So in prison, I was losing weight. Like, I was losing weight like shit, 270, 278. 
275 and all that. I, ain't, I, don't, I don't remember the last time I was that small. You feel me? So in prison, I was losing weight. As soon as I came home, I gained all that shit right back. And what would your react? What would the reaction be from the public, family, friends to your weight when you were in prison? When you got out, did people say things like, "Man, you got to put some weight on. You're getting too small." Nah, they actually was like, "Man, I like this size on you. Keep it, keep it like this. Try your best to keep it like this." But like I was telling them, I didn't purposely get my size to this. Like my my way of living in prison is is is, is what caused me to get this size. And I told her like, "I try, but." I'm not gonna go on no super big. Shout out to Money Man. Like I follow Money Man, and Money Man is extremely healthy. He does not play about his health. And um, I'd be lying to you if I told you that I'm willing to go there to that extreme. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I respect him. I love that nigga Money Man, man. Real nigga, good nigga. I fuck with him. I don't know no artist, street nigga artist who take care of their body and their food and shit like the way Money Man do. I commend him for that. That's real nigga shit. Now, what is your opinion on BBLs for females? I'm cool with BBLs as long as they, um, as long as you went to a respectable doctor, and um, and you took the proper steps of maintaining your figure after surgery. Um, I'm fine with BBLs, man. I done bought a few BBLs. I done bought a couple titties, some veneers, some lipos. I done bought some shit, man. So. You know, I'm definitely uh, with the BBL gang for sure. Shout out to all the bad bitches with BBLs. Can you spot the difference? Female with a BBL versus without? Not really, honestly. Me, not really. But I'm going to be honest, though. I'm so lazy in my mind, I'm not even trying to look for the difference. You know what I'm saying? One of my songs say, uh, I ain't really trying to fuck unless it's wet and it got that real feel. Meaning, I'm automatically, I'm coming in automatically assuming that your ass is fake. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm from D.C. I done seen, I grew up around fake asses all around me. You know what I'm saying? Every bad bitch or a bitch who gets some money in D.C. all went and got their ass done. So I'm not even looking, trying to spot to see if it's real or not. Now, if you're an older lady, if I see you late 30s, early 40s, then me and my dog might be like, man, is that fucking real? You know what I'm saying? We might ask that question. But other than that, Man, I'd be lying to you if I told you whether I, I care or not. I'm an ass man. I like ass. And I know it's small asses, and I know it's fat asses, and I know it's big, fake, extreme, huge asses, and I appreciate them all. Now, aside from your personal opinion on BBLs, generally speaking here, do males really like this stuff? BBLs on females. Yes. Yes because there are some females in the audience wondering, do males really like this stuff? Yeah, males like BBLs. It's just a lot of times, man, we don't like the things that women proceed to do after getting a BBL, you feel me? Like, unfortunately, the surgery changes the mind state of the person who got the surgery, you feel me? And I know, of course, like us as adults, we got to look forward to that possibly happening. But when it does happen, it's like, wow, like you really switched up over a fake ass that you didn't pay for. You know what I'm saying? But to go to your original question, do men like BBLs? Absolutely. Now, you've mentioned that you've actually paid for BBLs and breast augmentations mm -hmm. and veneers and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Do you ever regret that? 
especially if you're not in a relationship with that person any longer or communicate with that person any longer? Or? You know, I'm a real nigga, man, so I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a keep it 100 with you and say, yeah, yes, sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm a real nigga. I'm, I'm a human. I'm not a robot. My, 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 my feelings ain't made from a guy on a computer. I got real heart and real feelings. But I also say this, too. I also take pride in it because deep down inside, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have never felt that good about yourself. You know what I'm saying? I'm the reason why your confidence is that high. I'm the reason why these niggas is running around here chasing you. Motherfuckers weren't chasing you before you got with me. You know what I'm saying? So I take pride in that too, but at the same time, I'm a real nigga. Do I think about her, the BBL I bought, getting smashed on by another nigga? Yes, I do think that. And, and let me be the one who tell y'all, men think about that all the time. Whether they want to admit it or not, I'm going to be a real nigga and I'm going to admit it to you. You feel what I'm saying? But hey, man, the best way to get over a female is to get under the next one. So we keep that going, and um, I'm blessed and highly favored. So, but no more, no more. I ain't buying no more BBLs, man. No more surgery, no more veneers, no none of that. I'm done, man. I think I'm gonna be single for the rest of my life, man, for real. And I'm I'm at the stage where I'm really gonna be single for the rest of my life. I'm cool. If you don't agree with my mindset, my mind state, and how I feel, then we could go our separate ways. I'm cool with that, even if it may hurt me losing you. Anything else you want to mention about BBLs or question you weren't asked? People want to know about them. Nah, man, I'm cool on the BBL subject, man. Shout out to all the bad bitches in the world, with or without them. Little, little booties matter too, man. But. If you had a personal preference, BBL or no BBL, do you have one? Your own personal preference, even though you're cool with BBLs, even though you like BBLs, do you prefer BBL or no BBL? To be honest, I don't have a, um, I don't have a, like, I don't like, I don't like always fucking fat butt fake body bitches, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes a nigga gonna go on a hunt down Howard, down North Carolina AMT. Nigga gonna go on a hunt for them bitches. Niggas still love natural bodies, don't ever get it twisted. We love fat asses walking on them hills with them Versace rolls. We love that shit too, but I gotta keep it real. We still love them natural bad bitches, man. Bitches who get up and go to work every day. Bitches who get up and go to class, man. Virginia State, VCU, Howard, Bowie State. You know what I'm saying? Penn State, University of Pittsburgh. <laughs> natural, hey, man. Because ain't nothing like putting down some dick on a, on a natural body, man. For real, man. And you know, all, I don't know if you know, them big butt girls can't take dick. Can't no big butt girl take dick. None. Can't no big, unless they extremely drunk and they, and, and they finna let a nigga trash that motherfucker. Other than that, big butt girls can't take dick. Little butt girls, petite women, skinny girls, take dick and look you in your eye like, where the rest of it at? You hear me? I'm telling you. Like, and after a while, like, it's cool to run because I'm a man. I got pride. So when you run, you make me feel good by running. But after a while, I'm trying to trash this motherfucker. You got to stop running now. It's no more running no more. Stay put. 
Put your hands right here. Hold the hand right here. Hold the leg right. You're not moving no more. You're not running no more. Like the, the running was cute. Like it, it was cute. It's cute. It stroked my ego. It's cute. But after a while, ain't no more running. This shit got to happen. Take, sit here and take this. You know what I'm saying? So natural body babies, man. You know, shout out to all the ladies with the natural bodies, man. In our last segment, this is like our goodbye segment. Mm -hmm. Before this interview ends, is there anything else you were not asked? Fans want to know. People want to know. Is there anything you want to address while you're here? Anything else you didn't get a chance to mention, you'd like to mention now? I just want to let my fans know, my real true fans that be commenting on my gram every day and DMing me. I do not have control over when my music releases, when I am under contract, fans. If it was up to Fetrill, Fetrill would probably drop a project to be safe every three months. The old me, I would probably drop a project every two months. It's not me. I don't control the release dates. I don't control what day they getting released. A lot of things are out of my control, y'all. I don't want y'all to think that I be ignoring y'all and that I'm doing what the fuck I want to do. If it was up to me, I would have dropped five tapes by now. And it's June. I just came home November. So that's not up to me. I love y'all. Thank y'all for y'all support. Thank y'all for um, walking with me on this journey. I know I'm not perfect, but I try. I'm trying to be the best I can be. I know when it comes to this rap shit, niggas ain't fucking with me. And I'm one of the thirdest niggas in this shit. I stood 10 toes down. I ain't got no flaw in my name. You know what I'm saying? Um, I ain't got no hot bone on my name. I ain't got no fucking with faggies bone on my name. None of that. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of rumors swirling around about me. But if you know the facts, you know. You feel me? I ain't got no robbery on my name. Like, none of that. You know what I'm saying? I'm a thorough nigga, stand-up nigga. You, you feel me? So it is what it is, man. I've been hearing a lot of rumors of people trying to assault my cards, but the person who named me screaming, he know he never robbed me. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> he know that. If he swear on his brother's grave, he'll tell you, I never robbed Trail. Situation happened, but never robbed Trail. My name, no flaws on it. Um, and I plan to keep it that way till the day I die. I want to be one of the realest niggas that ever come out of Northeast, the Pinnacles, AZ Base, Washington, D.C. And for those in the audience getting to know you for the very first time, care to share your screen name on IG? My um, Instagram name is fat underscore gleesh underscore. That's at F-A-T underscore G-L-E-E-S-H underscore. My Twitter is at fatrell. That's at F-A-T-T-R-E-L. And you mentioned control. Who is currently in control of those releases and release dates? Dallas Martin, man. Contact Dallas Martin, man, the vice president of Asylum. <laughs> Say, nah, man. It's a team, bro. But I'll let Dallas, man. Dallas, streets need it, baby. Let's go. Let's get it. Anything else, and not just musically, but generally speaking here, any loose ends you want to tie from this interview with the previous topics you were asked? Anything you failed to speak on? Um, Anything that needs further clarification from what was said in this interview? Um, man, I don't know what, I don't know if anything actually need further clarification, right? But um, I just want y'all to know, man, I'm working my ass off 
And um, this year I plan on dropping a lot of music. I plan on keeping my foot on their necks. And um, I love y'all, and y'all know what it is. You know what it is, man. Gang, I'm home. Was gonna ask you if you had any final words, unless what you just said right there <laughs> was it. Yeah.